to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. And welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a best-selling novel and inspire you to finish your book. I'm Mark Stan. I'm flying solo this week in the latest of our one-page punch-up specials. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you in a moment. But before we get there, a big thank you to our sponsor, ProWritingAid, the official editing software of the bestseller experiment. ProWritingAid is so much more than a grammar checker. It's a style editor and writing mentor all in one package. What's more, ProWritingAid integrates with Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, and Outlook. It's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you. And as a listener of the bestseller experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Get your discount today at prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller. So what is a one-page punch-up? Well, we put word out to our chart-topper patrons. Send us one page from your work in progress. We'll give it to a top editor, and they will critique it on the show, and we will all learn something and get inspired. And you, dear listener, can read along. You can download the PDFs in the show notes that accompany this show. Now, we've had another barrage of entries, three times as many as we normally get. So we were absolutely deluged. So thank you to everyone who sent their one page in. We can't feature them all. And the standard, as always, was really, really high. Now, if you want to get involved for the next time, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, and we'll be opening the window soon for the next round of one-page submissions. And that's for our chart-topper supporters. They also get invited to our live shows. They get all sorts of other fun extras, as well as getting their regular weekly episodes early, the exclusive uh, to Patreon deep dive episodes, 70 episodes of new material. Uh, and we've been speaking to all sorts of amazing people about that. That's say, you know, starting your own publisher, audio dictation, software, Facebook ads, Amazon ads, creative writing courses, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and if you're an author who wants to dig deeper into these subjects, then come and support the podcast at bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Thank you to everyone who supports us. We could not do the show without you. And now to introduce our editor, old friend of the podcast, Emmett Akhtar, who is a publisher at Orion. He's worked with authors such as Ian Rankin and Michael Connolly. But, but, get this, folks, he has just been shortlisted for Editor of the Year at the British Book Awards, also known as the Nibbies. Emmett, congratulations and welcome back, sir. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm looking forward to being stuck in my house full of books for three months or whatever it's going to be. Who knows? But... Uh, um, books will get us through it, I think. They will indeed. Listeners, yes. If you're, if you're, uh, normally Ahmed and I try and be in the same room together because, you know, it's great to see the paper and make notes together and stuff like that. But yeah. certain world changing events to do with a certain virus mean we're doing this, uh, over the phone. So, uh, yeah, bear with us, but we can do this. Right. So we've got five pages to get through. Ahmed, let me know which one you want to start with and I'll read it out. Let's start with. The, the Wonder Girls. Not that one? Jan... Uh, Jan Carl. Yeah, yes, yeah. we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. The Wonder Girls. Right. Okay. In fact, this is The Wonder Girls 2. So I know this is a sequel, so bear that in mind. Okay. So The Wonder Girls by J.M. Carr. Having lived most of her 11 or so years on the streets of London, the comfort of the newly done-up Lily, a railway carriage from Queen Victoria's time, meant Baby just couldn't get comfortable. It was like her clothes didn't fit. In fact, they didn't fit, not usually, and she was used to that. She was used to hitching up her skirt with a bit of rope or rolling her sleeves till they were doughnuts round her wrists. She was used to the slick slock of old, worn boots. She was used to finding a barrel to sleep in, not a giant bed that filled a whole room with pillows and colourful quilts and hot water bottles when the frost sparkled outside. It was an itch she couldn't shift, like a flea had made its home on Baby and was going nowhere, no matter how many baths June Lovelock, the kindly new orphanage matron, made her have. And in spite of the three good meals a day prepared lovingly by Mabel, the orphanage cook and Brian, a 14-year-old girl with Down syndrome who was learning the trade, 
the fullness in baby's belly weighed her down. The plan had always been to go to America, where the pickings were like you'd never seen. Maybe it was time to go, at last. Sitting at the table, her legs dangling against the chair, as the sun poured bright and warm through the window, Baby rested her chin heavily in her hand and puffed a long, lip-burbling sigh. She closed her eyes in the warmth and tried to imagine how she would tell them all, Brian especially, that her and Fingers were leaving. She heard a train whistle on its way out of the station, sparrows squabble in the bushes that grew round the little clearing outside, and she heard a twig crack. Now they knew it was here. Nettlefield folk did come for a look at the lily from time to time. They were generally polite. Baby waited for the knock on the door. Instead, a coolness on her cheek, as if a cloud had hidden the sun, made her shiver. And that's from The Wonder Girls 2 by J.M. Carr. Emmet, what do you think? Mm, very nicely read. Um, yeah, I really like this one. I... Um... My big question around it is what, and I'll ask you because you might um, you might actually know or, or have a different opinion. What year do you think this is set in? That is the one thing that I wasn't fully clear on. It doesn't feel like it's nowadays, but it's obviously later than Victorian times. So, what would you say, like forties, thirties? I think you're or right. I think 50s? you're right. I think I think uh, the Wonder Girls one uh, I know is to do with the black shirts in uh, in Britain. So we're right. talking thirties, so wartime yeah. London. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That sounds so. about right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to be honest, if you're reading the whole book, or if you had the, you know, the copy on on Amazon or, or on the back, the blurb on the back of the book, you would know that by the time yes. you read it. So that was just one question. Um, I, yeah, so I really I like the sense of character coming through. I like it made me very, what's the word? I guess sort of you, you you're kind of rooting for the character, and it made me curious as to oh, how is this character with this background ended up in this situation, you know, who's not used to a life of luxury and comfort and all that. So I thought that was all quite appealing mm. uh, in terms of just some of the kind of more granular stuff kind of going from the top to the bottom from that first paragraph. Um, if you look from, there's this slightly clunky repetition of comfort, you know, the comfort of the newly done up Lily meant she couldn't get comfortable. It's, it's probably fine because they're using the word in different ways, but then the next line it was like her clothes didn't fit. In fact, they didn't fit, not usually. And she was used to that. So then it's just, it's kind of overdoing this sort of inversion technique or whatever you'd want to call that. And that just feels a little bit like to have that straight after the comfort bit just feels a little bit like each time you use that device, the impact is going to be slightly reduced. Um, yeah. And actually the, the comfort and the clothes one doesn't fully add up in the sense that it was like her clothes didn't fit, but in fact they didn't, not usually, because she should be used to that therefore. So she should be fine with the other thing, you know, it's just it's a slightly uh, um, uh, been kind of chasing my tail there. But though I do know what the author means. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm being harsh, obviously, because I think the voice is good and it's a nice kind of um, appealing sort of introduction. Um, what is a slock? I don't know what a slock is. I don't know, but I love that. I made yeah, a little like note that I love. She was used to the slick slock of old warm boots. Yeah. I think I think that's a is that a sound? Is that a, you know? I yeah, I, I, wasn't re- sure I if really it was a like sound it. or a quality, but I think I, I liked it as well. And just kind of yeah. it sort of worked for some reason, despite yeah. not really knowing what it was. So yeah, I exactly. Think that's yeah. On that. <laughs> and then I think the author has a good sense of timing because it got to the end of the next paragraph. You know about colourful hot water bottles when the frost sparkled outside. Yeah. And just at that moment, I was kind of curious about who this person was and how they ended up in this not exactly luxury but certainly more luxurious setting than they were used to and just at that time she sort of explains well he or she actually I'm not sure and the author explains just what the setting is and what's going on and you get a nice sense of the wider cast of characters and this kind of uh, homely sort of setting which they're planning on leaving it's not entirely clear why the author and the character is wants to leave I I would guess that this the kind of character who just likes being on the move and has sort of itchy feet, that would be uh, my best guess. And then we get to a little bit later on, she's kind of just sitting there 
this is what uh, the technical term is. You get talky scenes and thinky scenes, and I would call this oh, a thinky scene. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not really a technical term. It's just how, how I categorize these things to myself. So this is more of a thinky scene, isn't it? So, Ed- editor uh, of the year, folks. Editor, editor of the year. Take <laughs> that. Write that down. Write that down. Thinky scenes and talky scenes. There are no other types of scenes. <laughs> Punchy scenes and <laughs> runny scenes. Runny scenes. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you do get a sense of the, the train of thought, no pun intended, with the carriage and everything of this character. So it felt, mm. um, it felt like the author knows the character well, and I like feeling I'm in good hands with that kind of thing. So in that sense, I was very keen on it. I don't know who Fingers is, and there's not much of an intro, but I assume it's some kind of plucky sidekick, but I might be wrong about that. And, I, and surely Fingers is a pickpocket also, <laughs> <laughs> assuming, assuming any of this is to do with that, but the pickings and the name Fingers suggest to me that it is. And then, yeah, I quite like the sort of tense, tense, yeah, like a suspenseful ending, is it? It's like knowing what, what happens next, who is that knocking at the door. Um, and again, it's all very internal to the character, isn't it? The coolness and the cheek and the shiver and everything. So that is my take on it. I thought it was good. Even my big question around the set, the, the current time of it, isn't really a big one. But overall, I thought that was very good. Yeah, no, I liked it very much. I liked the uh, the way it unfolded. I liked the the use of repetition. She was used to. She was used to. She was used to. She was used to four times in in one paragraph mm. there. But like mm. you say, it was fighting against that other thing about the clothes didn't fit. The fact they didn't fit, and you know, so it was. There might be a bit much going on there. But I I really really liked it. I felt it was really assured. Yeah, it had a good um, a good rhythm to it as well, as you say. You know, those repetitions you can get away with if you're then counterpointing them with other observations or information which i think that just about go away with the, the only thing that did confuse me again this will have context in the in the bigger book or maybe in the first book uh we've got and in spite of three good meals a day prepared lovingly by mabel the orphanage cook and brian a 14 year old girl I, is brian yeah. a unisex name yeah well i mean I, I that slightly bumped me as well but i was like well maybe that's just what the yeah yeah no, maybe. called um exactly but yeah, yeah no i agree that was obviously some people would be like that's not um it's known as a, a boy's name rather than a girl's name but yeah 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 anyway i'm sure it'll all, all unfold in in the wonder girls too so thank you so much uh jm cart for sending that in right emed what, what would you what would you like to read next let's go for um very different uh this one called the mind stream the mind stream the mind stream by edward howard and it begins chapter one transcendence. Eris Wilson was buzzing. She stared into the mirror of the women's bathroom, a disused London train station being used for a rave. Eyes like saucers looked back at her, and she came up hard and projectile vomited into the basin. A familiar sensation flooded her face and body, a torrent of warmth and love and excitement. She looked back in the mirror again, at the girl in a vest top, a load of bangles, feathered earrings, a denim skirt. Was she floating? Out of her body? A door slammed behind her, and she looked around and down at her special trainers. She rocked back in her heels and forced a smile. She'd be fine in a minute. Deep breaths. Eris stumbled out of the bathroom, unsteady but elated. Victorian ironwork framed her vision as she made her way down the stairs to the large concrete terrace dance floor. The room stretched out in front of her, a DJ booth and huge speaker stacks at the end. Beyond that, a fence and railway lines. Eris focused as her eyes flickered and her head rushed. Jenny was there, smiling, dancing with the others. She stumbled down the wide terrace steps and hugged her. Jenny guided her to the bar to buy a bottle of water. Eris squinted at the bold, glowing letters spray-painted behind the bottles. In singing and dancing is the voice of the law. Grabbing the water, they put their arms around each other and made their way through the crowds to the front by the DJs. Warm bass vibrated through their chests and faces. Dry ice pumped out of the stage. Eris breathed in the familiar smell through her nose and into her lungs. She tingled all over, every cell alive. She tried to focus on her friends. Her eyes fed back lines of traces, a 70s pop video, a hypnotic kaleidoscope of psychedelic sound and colour. Like a light flicked on, everything was clear, bright and beautiful. Each footfall matched the beat. 
every record linked to the next. Rolling bass lines and trippy acid sounds, piano and breakbeats, vocal snippets soaring above their heads, balloons and hugs, faces of joy, friendship and love. Eris bathed in the perfect sound. Nothing could spoil this. That's the Mindstream by Edward Howard. Um, yeah, so this, I don't know if I'm, you know, three days into a house arrest and missing raids or what, but <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> this appeals to me in, in how it sort of evokes this uh, setting and everything, um, and as is not only my job, but the enterprise of this one-page punch-up, yeah, I can just split hairs for a while on some of the lines here, because I don't think there's much in terms of um, kind of character or... Um, what, what you know you call drama in terms of conflict or dilemma and that kind of stuff particularly to comment on it's essentially someone walking out um coming up of some sort of drug walking out of the bathroom meeting her friends and then kind of having a nice moment right i mean that's it's fair to say that's basically all that's happened. yeah i mean one of the reasons like, I, it literally I, happened one of the reasons I picked this one was because I think it's great on atmosphere it's great on atmosphere yeah, exactly. and that that i mean i think I'm teetotal. I'm, I'm, I think you are as well, aren't you, Emmett? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, uh-huh. I don't. I don't get drunk. I never got high. The, the nearest I got to, I had a kidney stone a few years ago, and they gave me gas and air, and I yeah, felt yeah. like my the petals. My my head was opening like the petals of a flower. That's the closest <laughs> I've ever got to it. So uh-huh. you know, I can't say if this is evocative of uh, you know getting high at a rave, but Edward does a really good job of 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 putting you in uh, Eris's head. I think. Yeah, definitely, absolutely, and I think. Um... I, as you say, it's very good on atmosphere. It's not, you know, not every uh, every scene or every chapter, every opening of a book needs to kind of open on. It's almost a bit annoying sometimes that stuff does open with too much kind of drama and conflict trying to shoehorn into a short space. So I quite like book openings that kind of let you breathe and discover the setting and the characters and stuff. It feels like it's just set in more or less our world. There doesn't feel to be any kind of fantasy elements of stuff or sci-fi elements as far as I can tell. Um, I've read lots of... Um, not very good writing about kind of raids and big parties and stuff. So I think this does very well at what it sets out to do, which is nice. Um, in terms of sort of harsh, harsher or hair splitting observations or questions I have, I think if you look at a line, so second line, eyes like saucers, mm-hmm. that's just kind of, you know, it's a bit of a stock phrase. I, I think the author, if I was editing it, I'd be like, you know, do you need to use such an established stock phrase? Do you want it to be like that? It's not, I guess it's kind of slangy and you're sort of trying to riff on that. Maybe it's fine for that reason. But I just ask the authors to always kind of make sure they're not deploying stock phrases without kind of choosing them, if that makes sense. Well, on line two as well, I think that's, you know, maybe you get away with that on page 45, but on the second line of the first yeah, page. Yeah, exactly, know. exactly. So, and I'm sure there's lots of other ways the author could say that, because if you think later on, the first line of the final paragraph, like a light flicked on, I mean, that's very simple, mm. elegant, you know, there's no complicated words there, but that, I don't think of that as a stock phrase or a stock image. And I just really like the way he gets that across. So, you know, I just think to, to have more of that without being, you know, the, as you know, the difficult thing is there's a fine line, isn't there, between being try hard or, or overly wordy, where something like the light flicking on just feels like something just quite kind of graceful and easy about it. I don't know if you felt like that about that line as well. Absolutely. And again, that's something that even if you're a, a boring old teetotaler like me, you can appreciate that. You've been in yeah, that thing you, where you've had exactly. a sensation. You've had that yeah. sensation. Yeah. 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 Um, and obviously it riffs on stock phrases such as a light bulb moment without actually, um, you yeah. know, without yeah, actually yeah. saying that. So the, those kind of associated phrases are always quite clever in that way. And then in terms of just, it puts you in Eris's head, but I think, so I'm, I'm, I feel like from reading this, it isn't her first time doing this or, you know, whether it's taking the drug or going out or anything. It doesn't seem like it's the first ever time. No. And then some of the questions around, was she floating out of her body and stuff feels like it is more the kind of thing that someone would think or wonder who hadn't ever done it before. So I wonder whether that ended up with the rest of the picture. Again, like yeah. I said, I'm really splitting hairs here, but these are the kind of, things I would analyze on a kind of scene by scene level um, and, and, you know, would, would put those questions to the author as well. Or it might be her, her first time doing it, I don't know, but that's, the rest of it feels like she's a bit more um, experienced in this setting and kind of going out and all that. And in fact, it says later she'd be fine in a minute, deep breath. That, that feels like someone who has been through this enough times to know that this is just yeah. part of a, a, a curve or whatever. Oh, topical. Anyway, 
Um, so now, <laughs> ignore, ignore. Flatten the curve. About Flatten it. the curve. <laughs> Flatten that curve. Squash that sombrero. As said. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, so then um, in the next paragraph, I like the kind of clarity in terms of the language and the imagery and everything while actually still somehow giving us this slightly warped perspective, you know, this idea of the dance floor stretching out, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, her, her eyes can't quite focus, there's lots of movement, it's all, it's disorienting without being sort of scary, do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. it's all a bit kind of wonky in, in a good way. So I, I like that he didn't overdo it and that he didn't kind of, you know, it's not, um, it just felt quite, just quite well considered, I guess, well pitched, as we Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, the what's my next comment? Really? Yeah, I mean the rest of it all feels quite um, quite believable, quite realistic, not authentic in the sense of going out and feeling these things. I guess again, if I'm being super critical, and maybe this comes later in the book, so it's probably not necessary to have it here. Just in terms of who her, you know, how many of her friends are there, who Jenny is. There's no dialogue. You want to put that? You probably don't need dialogue at this stage. But when do you start? layering up in terms of the, the sense of the other characters and, and voice and all that kind of stuff. But obviously this is a, this is very much an intro scene. Isn't it? It's like a music video rather than a, 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 a film scene. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the ending, I like that sense of kind of choreography, synchronicity, all that that starts coming through. And it does feel like that sometimes. And it just, the, the sense of, you know, the, the kind of the synthesis and unity and all that that's going through in terms of how the records link and the, the sounds and the sights and everything kind of all fit together and how, and then obviously that, I mean, I'm taking those last four words, that final line is very ominous. But, yeah. um, <laughs> that's my suspense thriller editor head um, that's saying that, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was good. Like I said, it's hard to dig into like conflict or scene building or drama building stuff. Cause it's not here, but I don't think it needs to be. I think it's a, a very nice intro on its own terms, you know? Yes. Uh, listeners, if, you, if you're reading on the last four words are, nothing could spoil this. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, Surely something will spoil it. I hope so. That's my, that's... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my, uh, my, my big nitpick, uh, if, if that's such a thing, that's not a contradiction in terms. Now, we've, we, I, I remember one of our early episodes, we had Sarah Pimbra and we spoke about men writing women. And yeah. one, of the, one of the cliches Sarah bemoaned, and you, you hear a lot of this, is men writing women looking at themselves in the mirror now what we don't have here mm. edward and you've been good at this you know a, a, a lesser author would have gone she looked at her booby boobs in the mirror and her, yeah. her bottom and it's very much a male gaze that's not very happening much. here but you do have her staring in the mirror not once but twice you know so uh i know you're trying to describe the character but the uh i, I think that's a little again if you've got the eyes like saucers and the trope of staring in the mirror at herself in the opening para. Uh, you, you sort of, I think you got a, a slight crash of tropes there. So it might be worth just rethinking that bit. Yeah, it's an interesting nitpick. Yeah, I, do, I mean, obviously take Sarah's point on that. And normally, like the really bad stuff you read were of men writing women. It's always like um, boob related, basically. Yeah. Invariably, boobily, she walked boobily down the stairs or something. Exactly, <laughs> and I mean, I don't, I don't think this is. I, I feel like no, it's um, not, this is. I guess this is, has that mirror thing and, and externalizing and stuff. However, I would say in the author's defense, like this is a. It's also quite a normal way to introduce characters generally, male or female, looking in a mirror, um, in films and here. You know, it's a way of kind of, and also like the drug thing and the kind of the outer body experience and alienation and all that. So I think. I think he gets away with it, but I, that's an interesting point of Sarah's, um, and I'm sure she's right about that. Yeah, I just wonder if if you're um, you've got was she floating out of her body? Maybe if she's having a kind of out of body experience, she could see herself without the mirror, eh? Eh? Yeah, mm, yeah. groovy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. says someone who's never taken drugs in his life. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for the mind stream. Uh, oh, and also apologies if I got special train. I had to look that up. Apparently, they're Adidas. Special oh, trainers, yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm calling with it the latest fashions. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, Emma, what would you like next? Let's do Once Upon a Time in Fairy. Right, yeah, this is very different. So this is uh, Once Upon a Time in Fairy by Gareth Lewis, and I apologise in advance for the pirate voice I'm going to inflict <laughs> on you all. So. <laughs> A wall of angry blades was easier to face when Selmy wasn't wearing her own face, 
her own species, or her own story. The deck heaved beneath them, and waves splashed over them. Selny started counting the interval between waves. The tension of Grayla's back against hers felt eager, but she'd wait for Selny. Any anger was inherent in the blades. The faces behind them were mainly confused and distracted by the rocking. All were armed, if only with the nearest implement that could conceivably cause harm, ideally to their target. They were off balance, though. A shock should weaken the line, and she studied the eyes to determine who'd buckle first. Only the return captain had anything approaching anger, and that was edged with glee. His dark beard was filthily matted, and wider than his grin, only in a physical sense. Welcome. We weren't properly introduced before ye stole me ship and crew. I'm Bloodbeard, the terror of these seas. Bloodbeard, the savage. Bloodbeard, the dashing. Bloodbeard, the unhygienic, said Grella. Who thinks rubbing blood into their beards a good idea? Have you any idea how many germs are around your mouth? It stole his momentum. Unhygienic? Germs? Cease thy unholy jibber-jabber, lass! I know you have soap on this world, so don't play dumb. Enough! said Bloodbeard. While not angry, he tried reasserting his authority. You mean to again enchant my men with your foul, sorcerous words? Excuse me? said Grella, faking offence. I've never enchanted anyone. Selny glanced over her shoulder, maybe not knowingly. Grela looked back at her, not in front of the pirates. Her eyes twinkled with a suppressed urge to act that said she'd only wait so long. A wave crashed against the ship, splashing them, and Selny reset her count. And that's Once Upon a Time in Fairy by Gareth Lewis. Emad. I love the title. I really do like that title. I don't know why. It just uh, really speaks to me. Um, so I... Hmm. So actually, once you read it out, I think it is... It's more of a comedy thing than when I was reading it. I guess it's just much more, it's easier to see that, isn't it? When someone reads it out loud and I guess with audio books and things that, that comes through more. Um, so I'm start, slightly having to rethink as I go through. <laughs> I, <laughs> I found, I, I like the introduction. I just thought little bits of it, I found quite confusing. And I don't know about you, I was, I was, maybe it's just because we dropped into this in the middle of the scene, like a, a wall of angry blades, I assume, means that they're kind of surrounded on this pirate ship and, and these two characters are back to back. Is that kind of how you're picturing it? Yes, and I did have to read it a couple of times. I think what's yeah, going on there... I, and I, I think I got there with, after a few reads. I mean, what, and I do this. This is very much first draft me. I won't just write something once. I'll write it a second time, you know, and reinforce it and overdo it. And I think this, uh, I think the dialogue is cracking. I really enjoy the dialogue. And it, it, it has that kind of Joss whedon Buffy kind of, you know, quipping in the face of danger thing, which I really yeah. like. Um, well, Guardians of the Galaxy, that was the kind of thing it reminds exactly, me of. Exactly, yeah, kind of like yeah. Lots of different, like, it's almost different chronologies or timelines. And you have, like, sci-fi and history and stuff meeting i don't felt like it's kind of more in that kind of space as you say absolutely absolutely it's just uh the the prose outside of the dialogue just felt a little clunky in places you know all were armed if only with the nearest implement that conceivably can cause harm ideally to the target it's piling on ideas and yeah you know, it, it just... and it's funny because the dialogue is um very voicey and quite quite breezy and easy to follow yeah. isn't it? you really get yeah, a sense yeah. of that so so I think the prose is probably the thing to focus on in terms of where the author needs to kind of rethink or redevelop. Because the, the issue with that as well is that the narrative voice begins to fight the dialogue voice as well. You, it's hard to go from a kind of, whether you, you know, drier or clunkier descriptive writing that doesn't really have that character flavor into like a really voicey, funny um, sort of exchange like that. It's just, it's quite hard to um, to smooth that over, I think. So yeah, as you said, the, that line that you just quoted, I struggled with and kind of had to go over that a couple of times to make sure I understood that. Um, any anger was inherent in the blades. I found that very confusing. And then the faces behind them were mainly confused and distracted by the rocking. I could get that, but then I didn't understand how, if they're just behind them, why are they behind them? And they were, the, the very first thing we hear is a wall of angry blades is easier to face, which suggests it's in front of them. Then I kind of worked out at some point in my my image in my head changed that they were kind of surrounded 
so I don't understand how it's behind them. So I just I just found it quite disorienting in that sense. We had Scott Pack on an episode of the podcast at the beginning of the year, and he said his main note to authors that he gives out more than any other note is stop trying so hard. Mm. And I, I think I think this is this is my big note for Gareth here, which is you know the dialogue is spot on, and this is definitely this story is totally in my wheelhouse. I'd love to read this, but I just think you know the prose is just trying a little bit too hard just to pack everything in. Yeah, it's trying to overguide us, I think. And actually, the specific positioning, the more, like quite often with editing, you find if you just take out the thing that suggests the ideas to the reader, whether it's a visual idea or a kind of suspicion or whatever, that often solves the problem um, more often than over-explaining it or fixing the problem with more information. Um, and that I think this could benefit from that. Like, you know, it could just say the faces around them or the faces of you know what whatever the the pirate crew is called or anything like that i just think it's trying to place things a bit too specifically and that can lead to more issues particularly the more information you have the more information can be miscorroborated by other information if that makes sense so yeah, absolutely if you're if you're yeah. bombarding the reader with detail they're struggling to paint a picture in their head whereas if you give them it's a it's a fine balance if you give them just enough to paint that picture in their head you know if you just say uh, Selny and Grayler stood back to back, you know, surrounded by uh, rattling blades as waves splashed over them. Then I can see that, you know, I, you know, something, something simpler uh, yeah. helps helps and, me. And, and, and all the stuff I feel like that's internal to the character works pretty well. So you've got this seesaw thing, like the waves, and and there's uh, how do you pronounce the main character's name? Selner. Is that how you said it? That's how I've said it. I can yeah, be completely so, wrong. Um, is counting the interval between the waves, and I quite like that kind of like ticking clock, smoking gun sort of thing under the scene. I think that works really well, particularly for this kind of action um, type scene or certainly suggesting action. And then then you've got these external bits, which I think are probably that's where the, the problem lies in terms of the prose. And then you've got really nice dialogue. So that's good. Um, and then, so the other line I kind of struggled with was his dark beard was filthy, was filthily matted. Fine. And wider than his grin only in a physical sense. That I don't understand. It's wider, so so the beard is literally wider than his grin because it's around his face, fine, but only in a physical sense, meaning the grin is in a non-physical sense wider than the beard. Yeah. But why you, do we need to know any of that? Yeah, you don't, you don't. If it's you just say his yeah. dark beard was, was filthily matted and wider than his grin, boom, mm. I've got it, I've got and it. And then we kind of, you know, and then the grin thing is important because that fits into the kind of swaggering, uh, slightly smooth talking, but kind of bumbling character, right? He yeah. doesn't get slapped down. I think that all fits. And I get, I think well, the, the choices aren't bad choices, just how the specific execution, I guess, could just be sharper. And then we get to the dialogue and I think it's much better. There's one bit in the dialogue that um, slightly bumped me was, we weren't properly introduced before you stole me ship and crew. I, I read this until that line as we were joining this before some kind of conflict as opposed to after. So, you know, it feels like there's all these swords pointed at them and we're kind of at a moment of increasing tension. And I read that and I was like, oh, is it already all over or what's going on? Um, so that just slightly confused me. And if anything, I would say, why make the reader think like we, we're not privy to the, the actual conflict or the scene? Um, again, this is hard to tell without the rest of the, the picture there. Anyway, and, the, and then the rest of it, I think the dialogue and, and exchange is good. And then, yeah, we just, you know, something is going to, something's about to kick off. And I quite like that. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to just have a go at the author because there's a lot of stuff that he's done is, is very difficult in terms of mixing, you know, historical and slightly sci-fi and the dialogue and the setting and all of that. So um, there's a lot of very good work that's being done as well. It's just, there's a few clunkier lines that, if anything, it's easier to just simplify them. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, it's just less is more in this. So, uh, so Gareth, thank you so much. Hope you're not too bruised by that. But I, I want to read the rest of this. I, I you know, I, it's a great, you know, it's a great setup. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So, what is next? We've got two left. We'll go with Daughters to Demons. Wonderful, lovely. That's Daughters to Demons by Anonymous. First of April, thirteen forty-three. The only sound was that of her footsteps echoing across the piazza. It was not long before prime. The sun rose over the top of the unfinished cathedral, its light encroaching into the shadow-cloaked square. Her fingers trembled as she clutched the letter. 
even in the crisp coolness a film of sweat formed beneath her wimple. Flapping wings startled the nun. A bird took flight to her left and soared overhead, the source of its disturbance out of sight. Sister Isabetta's steps quickened as she neared her destination. Drawing level with the west façade of the cathedral, she saw the bronze of the baptistry doors glinting in the weak morning sunlight. Palazzo Vescoville sat behind the octagonal building. Once inside the bishop's palace, she went up a flight of wide stone stairs until she reached a pair of double doors. She prepared to knock, but stopped herself. The right-hand door stood open an inch. A piece of carpet had snagged underneath it. The gap between the doors left a small corridor of sight into the throne room. Isabetta looked in by accident. It's wrong to spy. Her breath caught in her chest. Out of want, she reached for her rosary beads. I shouldn't be seeing this. The gap was just wide enough to frame two men standing on the opposite side of the room. They were kissing on the lips. Shocked, Isabetta turned her head. She tried to clear the image from her mind's eye, the bishop kissing a man in a burgundy kirtle. The door opened and the man came out. Isabetta had already positioned herself away from the entrance. He did not glance in her direction before hurrying away. She knocked on the door. Enter! And that's Daughters to Demons by Anonymous. I I really like this one. I thought yeah. the atmosphere was great, the setting. Um, I don't know what city it's in. It doesn't really matter, but I'm just kind of curious. Do you know what city it's in? From, from no, the I name don't. name of the palazzo or whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I thought it was great. It was, I like that kind of... Um, close character point of view you know there's not you see the character from the outside in terms of the setting but really all the all the narrative and thinking and everything is very much filtered down through the the character lens which is great very kind of uh, gloomy uh, early morning shadowy kind of setting which i really like that it's it's a good sort of start for a book isn't it in terms of like as writing incidents or whatever you want to call them go yeah. it's a uh, that kind of thing you wish you hadn't seen or thing you wish you didn't know that you can't unknow or unsee. So they're always very fruitful stories and kind of, and with the religious themes, it works well, you know, the knowledge and all that kind of stuff and the, the setting of a, a, a nun or any sort of woman within this very old school church setting. I think it's just instantly got all kinds of drama and conflict um, inherent to it. So I thought all of that was really, really good. Uh, I, lo- I love that that opening description of the light encroaching to the shadow cloaked square. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know what the letter is or for or why her fingers are trembling when she holds it, but the fact it makes you ask these questions without You're engaged, forcing those you? questions down your throat. Yeah, it's very intriguing. Yeah. You know, that's the yeah. word uh, I would probably use to describe this thing overall. So, so that was really good. You know, and, and it, it's just um, there's a lot of building blocks that are there in terms of. The setting and the atmosphere, yes, but you know that you know that this character has an objective, which is to deliver the letter, uh, and an intent to you know get there and, and give it to the bishop, and that's then instantly subverted with this other knowledge, something that's learned, and the dilemma sort of presents itself. You know, mm-hmm. that's like really kind of a dry way of putting the scene building. The the raw materials are all there, and I yeah. really like I really like having that. Um, very 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 tiny hair to split in terms of it is a better. So it's about halfway down the page. Isabetta looked in by accident. It's wrong to spy. It's not spying if she is actually looking in by accident. So that's just one thing. I I think whether that adds up or not. Is it more interesting if she genuinely does look in by accident and sees that, and then she can never unsee it, or is it more interesting if she sees that the doors open and she just thinks, "What's the worst that could happen? I'll just stick my head in <laughs> and then see that." I I don't know. Um, or maybe very... maybe this does make sense. Maybe you can have both ways. But what does that reveal to us about the character? The fact yeah. that she would do something like that if she thinks no one would see and she'd get away with it or doesn't really think it's a big deal or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Just those tiny little bits that reveal character to us. They're the kind of things that um, a a narrative can really kind of hinge on. Um, And then the rest of it, obviously, it's, you know, we want to know what has she seen. I mean, maybe even drag out that moment in terms of like, not just the shock of it, but the description of it. You can delay what she actually does see because by the time we've got to the I shouldn't be seeing this you know we're going to keep reading till we find out what she's seeing <laughs> you know I mean I, I do that all the time in suspense stuff I'm always saying like once we're on the hook like just 
what other stuff can you kind of stuff into that and, and drag us along to because yeah, then yeah, what yeah. we want to know you know you've created the demand and then you just kind of have to supply it sort of thing yeah um and the ending is good i think you know it makes you ask the question who is this other person obviously that will come up in some way later on mm-hmm. maybe planting that seed now we'll probably do it in the next chapter that kind of stuff so um but yeah, it's very intriguing. It really makes me want to know what happened in a kind of line by line language and description level. I think it's very good. It's very clear. It doesn't, there's no part of it that I was kind of really confused by. And I thought it, it did a good job at evoking the atmosphere in the setting. So all in all, very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And just going back to your point about whether or not she chooses to look, if it's a choice, it does give her that little bit of agency and also exactly. creates a problem for her. So if she chooses to spy on them, mm. That's really interesting. But likewise, if she sees it completely by accident, then she's an innocent. She's an innocent thrust yeah. into a world of conspiracy. It's, kind of a, it's a, um, sympathy and empathy sort of distinction yeah. in a way, not to be too kind of simplistic about it. But that's again, you know, what does the author want to do? What, what does she want her character to be like? And obviously, if it is pure accident, lots of plots start with coincidences like that. I mean, the real coincidence is the, you know, the carpet under the door and that kind of thing. Lots of mm. particular like, suspense plots start with coincidence. You just can't resolve them with coincidence and that's fine. Yes. But then does she, uh, you know, what, why, why does she look? And even if she does, does she just want to see if he's in? Does you just, you want to see like, Oh, what's the inside of that room like, or should I go in or should I close the door? I don't know. Or there's, there's so many ways you can go with that tiny little moment that opens the rest of the plot and shows up the character. So, yeah. Um, but that's a nice position to be in, I think. I mean, maybe if she maybe if she heard voices and thought, oh, I, I shouldn't intrude. Someone's having a private conversation, but I'll have a little look anyway. Then yeah. that's, the, that's the sin, isn't it? That's the, you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's, yeah. as, yeah. that's up but to you, Laura. Uh, uh, the Palazzo Vescoville is in Padua. Uh, ah, so uh, so I don't I wonder if it's worth putting that in the, you know, 1st of April, 1343, Padua. Maybe just put that in the beginning uh, just to give us a sense of play. But, I mean, I knew it was somewhere in Italy. You've got nuns and bishops and things. So I had a, I had a real sense of place and time and everything. So I mm. really, really, really like this. Yeah. Well, it's almost certainly in lockdown right now, Padua, looking at it on the map. Right. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Just to the west of Venice. Yeah, never been there. It looks beautiful. Anyway, mm. yeah, but the fact it made me want to ask all these questions is a very good sign. So I like that. Excellent stuff. And on to our final page, which is Sour Milk by Morgan Delaney. The policeman had smoked incessantly on the drive to the Lambs of Our Lord Children's Home. But he had called it the Lambs Home in his soft Galway accent. And Lee, whose jumper still smelled of cigarettes, had imagined a cottage among green fields. A woman with thick glasses and curly hair had opened the gate to the orphanage. Her mouth curled down as the policeman pushed Lee towards her. He had hardly slept before being dragged out of bed the next day. Before lessons, the children washed in cold water. The morning was overcast. Drizzle spat at the windows. The white paint of the classroom looked grey, black in the corners where mould climbed the walls. Lee sat in the front row, listening to the snuffled breathing behind him. The room smelled of chalk and damp. At the window nearest the teacher's desk stood a shop window dummy. With the light behind it, it was hard to tell, but Lee felt it was watching him. He needed the toilet, but didn't dare raise his hand. The woman, Miss Dunn, the policeman had said, was calling someone. Ivan? she called again. Ivan! She stared at Lee, her pen poised over a jotter on her desk. Ivan? She picked up a meter stick and rose. The dummy rocked as she brushed past. No, thank you, she said. I shall manage this. She stopped beside Lee. Ivan? She bent over him, her breath smelling of sour milk. Please, Mrs. My name is Ivan. She whipped the meter stick across his fingers on the desk and turned back to continue the roll call. The dummy rocked again as the children answered in turn, all of them an Ivan or an Anna. His fingers aching, Lee kept his eyes on the dummy by the window. It was life-size, dressed in a wide, dark brown woolen suit and black boots. It had realistic rubber hands, but only a ball of wood 
the colour of dried wheat for a head. Two lines were carved into it for eyes. When he arrived at the orphanage the previous night, he had been told that its name was Mr Leonard and that it would get him. And that is Sour Milk by Morgan Delaney. Emad. Um, so I liked bits of it and other bits that I found slightly confusing. And, and like, so it's particularly around the, the when of it in terms of not like when is the story set, but in terms of when is this being narrated from and by who. So I found the, the first paragraph I found weirdly confusing and I, I shouldn't particularly, but um, this thing of, so, you know, you got him in the car with the policeman they get to the lamb's home or children's home, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then Lee, who's, who is our main character, it's not the policeman. I was slightly confused for a bit. It's like, is Lee the name of the policeman? Something about that sentence construction suggested that. Then whose jumper still smells of cigarettes, I think it says. Yeah. But when is the still, like just gets out of the car or later, or it's not surprising that it still smells of it if he just got out of the car. So just little things like that, I find sometimes kind of snowball into me being a little bit confused. But I am very, very easily confused. So don't, uh, <laughs> don't, don't be too surprised by that. And then in terms of like a general note on the other characters. So once you have a sense that Lee's our main character, we have, we have the policeman, a woman, the teacher, and it's all quite distant until later with um, Miss Dunn. And I think that's fine. I just think it's the, the idea is that, you know, this this character, uh, Lee, is being taken somewhere. He doesn't know anyone. And that distance and sense of, um, I guess, disorientation is, is important to the story. And then um, I think, you know, all the descriptions of the classroom and everything felt um, really good and like really mm. well written, but also very kind of believable and stuff to me. Yeah. Then I get confused after that. So I, I like the... The shop window dummy is, I mean, it's creepy touch. It's good touch. I don't know why, 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 yeah, it is terrifying. <laughs> but why the, why the description of it in terms of what it's wearing isn't earlier? Because for ages I'm then picturing it as just like a, a mannequin, like with no clothes on. And then later it's, it's much, much scarier that it's wearing human clothes, in my opinion. Um, that, <laughs> that, that was like more freaky to me. In terms of, you know, why isn't he daring to raise his hand? Is he scared of the teacher? Is he just shy? Or is it a bit of both? Or is he embarrassed? Or is it a particularly strict and terrifying place? that We've not been told really anything. We've gone from him stepping out of the car to being in the thing the next day. So it just all felt just a slightly confusing or possibly rushed. Or Again, this is just very subjective, isn't it? That was just my feeling. And then my big question is that this Ivan and Anna thing, Mm. How do you take a register when everyone's got the same name? And why, how does, <laughs> how, how, what, like, no one's explained that to him. And why are none of the other kids saying, yes, I'm Ivan, if they're all called that and they're all called Anna? Is this a dream? Like, what's going on? Like, I found all of that very confusing, personally. I might right. just totally have the wrong end of the stick here, like, completely. The stuff you find confusing, I loved. I really, uh, I really, yeah. really like this. I had this. a feeling you would, actually. <laughs> and, uh, I think, uh, first we of all... We both like I, the dummy. We can agree on the dummy. Yes, and I like that... I Weirdly, I like that the description of the dummy came later. I thought that was... It was like, um, you know, in a horror movie, you might see a shadow and then something steps into the light and you go, oh, my God, it's you know, yeah. a monster or whatever. It For yeah. me, it was like that. That little extra layer of detail coming... That little bit later, I thought was quite bold and quite revealing, and I, I quite like that. It does, it does make sense in the sense that you're not just going to like fully describe something the first time you describe it and then never mention it again. It's very normal to drip feed or 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 build um, descriptions as you go. So yeah, I would. I, I think you are probably right about that. It did work for me, obviously. After all, let's not forget. You know, I did like yes, it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing is, uh, it's the Lambs of Our Lord Children's Home in Galway, I assume. So mm-hmm. that's why he doesn't want to raise his hand and go to the toilet. These places, if we're if we're in the past and there are you know mm. people looking after children who are smoking, then we're probably in the seventies, sixties, maybe however yeah, how long ago. 50, um, yeah, these were horrible places. Yeah. You know, so uh, having having you know my mum's side of the family or Catholic, I. I you know, I, I'm like, oh it's yeah, a scary environment. Yeah, that way. exactly. Yeah. I know this very, very well. So yeah. I, um, I'd like. I mean, I, we do also then see him get hit across the knuckles of a thing for not really, not not really doing anything wrong. So I guess it does it does answer itself. So I, I am obviously being harsh, but I'm not here to be harsh. <laughs> I no, exactly, and I am with you on the. On on the sense of time, there is you know certainly we're in a car, and then suddenly he's waking up the next day, and then suddenly he's in a classroom. That 
did tumble into it, it. That did bump me and confuse me. I think that needs a little bit of clarity there. Or maybe just... Yeah, there's a kind of a bit of a Russian doll thing in terms of the timings of... Yeah. Maybe, I mean, is he speaking way after the fact? Or is he speaking a week after? Is he, is he narrating this in the next day? Or it's just very hard. It's very hard to get a grip on it. Yeah, I think, you know, it just... Um, I think maybe just let that page breathe. This could easily be two, three, four, five pages if you if you let it breathe a little. And, yeah, because uh, also particularly if you're trying to introduce us to the setting and the character's feelings towards it, you probably do want it to be a little bit more blow by blow, don't you? In terms of like him getting there, what the bedrooms are like, yeah. that first night's sleep, where he's come from, what he's thinking about, all of that. I mean, you probably could do that because that's how you grow our identification and, and connection with the character anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I really enjoyed that. I thought No, I, I did as well overall. I mean, they're, they're all good. You know, you never, um, you always have the high quality stuff on here. It's just more that what I found confusing. And again, you know, it's so hard to judge this stuff on one page when you're talking yes. probably more like two, 300 pages, maybe more in, in most cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. What the no, story absolutely. is. So, and so much of it, it thrives on connection and the cumulative effect of the story. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you to everyone brave enough to send their pages in. As I yeah, said, we, thanks so much. We, were, we were deluged. We had three times as many pages as we normally get. So this was wow. really tough picking the ones that we did. So thanks to Jen, Gareth, Edward, Morgan and Anonymous for sending your pages in. But most of all, to who surely must walk away with Editor of the Year 2020, mm, to no our old friend... No <laughs> Matt, thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant. I really, really appreciate it. In what is, I know, a really tricky time and difficult time for any editor working in the industry. So thanks thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks again, everyone, for sending the stuff in. Um, it's all really good. Don't hate me. And yeah, just <laughs> keep writing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all good. That's all you can do is keep writing. And I've really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, thanks. And if you want to have your page critiqued by a top editor like Emad, come and get involved. Pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and become a chart topper supporter. Not only do you get involved with the live shows and the one page punch ups, you get episodes early, all sorts of extra stuff. So do go over there and check it out. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe, rate and review uh, on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Big thanks to Dave and JD, our editors. Uh, if you want to find us online, you can get in touch uh, at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there or find us on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram at bestseller XP. And until next time, happy writing. Mm-hmm.